I don't know why that sounds like a cow at the end, but yes, the SmackDown intro from this time makes about as much sense as the episode of SmackDown that we're going to talk about. Welcome to the April 6th, 2000 episode of SmackDown, the post-WrestleMania uh, 2000 episode of SmackDown. And if you listen to the two parts of our WrestleMania 2000 review, you'll probably uh, understand why it took us so long to get back into the swing of things, because you can sometimes reflect, wonder, do we even like wrestling anymore? Uh, and I'm 70% sure, uh, maybe 60% sure that I still do. I'm not sure about my co-host, Sam Preston. How do you feel, Sam? I uh, feel about as excited as being offered a catheter um, for a pickaxe. <laughs> well, that's excitement, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's an image that you can all uh, gratify towards, considering that that's the pain that I went through in order to complete this episode. So um, I will support you in your endeavours. Also, we have to have the the post. We have to have the raw recap first, obviously. And uh, this is also the post-WrestleMania Raw. So also over the years, fans have come to have an expectation of the quality of a post-WrestleMania Raw and with the exception of the main event, which has a uh, unnecessary bit of controversy, and I use that in the loosest possible terms, that they hammer into throughout this episode of SmackDown, as we'll soon uh, talk about. The, the actual rest of the episode was solid. One of the best episodes of Raw I've actually watched uh, since I've, I insisted on accidentally of doing the Raws, which most days I regret, but this time I actually enjoyed watching the Raw, and I'd actually highly recommend Everybody go back and check out this post WrestleMania 2000 Raw. And so instead of inserting uh, little bits here and there to talk about what's been happening on Raw as Jason SmackDown, I'm just going to run down everything important that happened on Raw and then talk about the shit ending that led into this mostly shit SmackDown. Here we go. Uh, Chris Jericho obviously walked out of WrestleMania 2000 as European champion. For Jericho... It felt like the good times as European champ would never end. But then China happened. As China cost uh, Jericho the title and a match with Eddie Guerrero uh, by hitting a DDT on Jericho while the referee was down. Like Jericho had a line up while the referee was down. China got in and counted. Jericho then, like an idiot, got up and celebrated with China, who then hit somewhere low blow, pulls Eddie on top, pushes the referee back in and allows Eddie to win the title. And what's even more spectacular is that they leave in a lowrider, which uh, is something I associate with Eddie, having watched them, you know, in the um, SmackDown days, 2002, 2004. Uh, if anybody who was around in the Ruthless Aggression era as a fan knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Angle's still complaining about the uh, the loss at WrestleMania. So how, how, I was not pinned, and now I lost both my titles. How does that happen? And Fink has to once again explain to him how this triple threat two falls match worked and said, you're no longer a champion. And so Angle attacked the Fink and put him in the cross-face chicken wing, yelling, <laughs> I am a champion, I am a champion. Den- denial is the first step, as we all know. So I can't wait to see um, poor Mr. Angle get onto step two, which is anger. So mm-hmm. I look forward to that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he also fought Valvinus, but nobody cares about that. Uh, Benoit defends his newly won Intercontinental title against Taz, which I figured would uh, annoy Sam, given that you talked about how 
in, in the Intercon- in and around the Intercontinental title scene, Taz that was for a couple of weeks before we popped back down to the hardcore title scene. But you know, it, it was an okay match, not really quite what I'd expect from the two guys' sales. But Benoit uh, won with a bridging German suplex after a distraction from Perry Saturn, and then Taz just chases them back up the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> just love the idea of like um Taz uh like five foot nothing chasing Perry Saturn up the up the ramp. Uh it'll probably look like a younger brother chasing his uh his um his university brother going like, No, please keep me please keep me, please take me with you and that sort <laughs> of thing. I wish I'd seen that image. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that now. <laughs> Taz is very much the, the bulbasaur to Perry Saturn's Ivy sore. <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine that. Uh he tears through the orange shirt as he starts um uh getting bigger and then suddenly turns into Perry Saturn holding a mop. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who'd be the Venusaur of the final stage in that kind of evolution, but I don't bam, know. Bam bam Bigelow. <laughs> Bam, bam, motherfucking Bigelow, because he's a man. He he was an absolute demon. He had the he had the tattoos. He had the um the bur- burly grurdy look. He yeah, I could I could see those three being at a family meal together as three gener- uh three different brothers and not liking each other quite easily. I was going to say Batista, but all right, he's bald and he has tattoos, so you know, I kind of shaved in Mohawk that Taz has at this kind of period. That's only the first stage evolution that you grew out of that as you go along and you evolve into Drax the Destroyer. But Batista is basically the uh, second cousin who comes over and embarrasses all three of them by how successful he is and how much better he looks. Now I'm just, now I'm just picturing Taz delivering lines but, uh, that Drax says in Guardians of the Galaxy, like, Nothing goes over my head, Cole. A reflex is too quick. I catch it. Took <laughs> it out. I just did, now I'm just imagining Taz uh, like being thrown up in the air and going, "Ah, my nipples!" <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to redo the Guardians of the Galaxy poster, but just put Team Taz from AEW uh, around there. Uh, Groot is obviously Hook. I yeah. am Hook. <laughs> I am Hook. I am Hook. Uh, I like to imagine uh, Ricky Starts will probably be Star-Lord because he never shuts the fuck up. Uh, I'm just trying to think who could possibly... Could Cage pass it off as Rocket Raccoon in that uh, the FTW title is the equivalent of his gun? Although that means he's always with, he's always with Hook. Yeah, no. and that also means that by default, Powerhouse Hobbs is Gamora. To be fair, he might be the most dangerous woman in the world. Um, I, I certainly am not going to get in his way, so <laughs> I could see that. Although, they could get Jade Cargill with them, and she could be Gamora, and then we could have... Um, oh, oh, Cage can be Yondu, because they've got the Mohawk together. So therefore, you could just imagine both of them just throwing arrows or Darby Allens around uh, and being able to wipe out all the Reavers and that sort of thing. I love it. I can see it. It's happening. All, all, you, need, all you need now is for a little mantis. <laughs> now, next, now whenever uh, Cage inevitably breaks away from Teen Taz, as it seems they're doing after Double or Nothing, you can just have him yell in Taz's face, I'm Mary Poppins, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
and, and just have uh, Christian actually get his long hair back again and pull it underneath a bonnet, and then he could uh, start quoting Firefly and just be like, I swear by my pretty floral bon- bonnet, I will run prettier you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we have uh, the hardcore title on the line uh, where Crash wins it back from Hardcore Holly with some help from the APA. He started to rewrite the wrong of the finish where Crash was meant to win the title anyway. But, you know, it was a nice rematch. Uh, they stole JR's candy jar again and it got smashed over his head. There were fire extinguishers and all sorts of typical weapons you'd expect. Uh, the big show decides because they're in LA, I'm going to go Hollywood, man. And he tried to dance with Too Cool after he, he, beat, he has a match with Rikishi, loses because uh, Too Cool randomly get involved and blatantly get Rikishi disqualified but then Rikishi dances with him anyway, isn't angry about it. And then cuts back from break. Big Show's still in the ring. And he goes, hey, I can dance. I'm entertaining. You're not. <laughs> and then dance like too cool. And backstage, Grandmaster Sexy, especially Whistled and Scotty Duhotty, uh, slags Big Show for his rotten dancing. And then later on, he, he, Big Show comes up and goes, was my dancing really that bad? Well, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good either. And so Big Show puts Grandmaster Sexy through a table, which apparently is to write out the fact that Grandmaster Sexy is injured. And then Big Show leaves not before stealing uh, Grandmaster Sexy's do-rag. So he's kind of associated with Shane, so there's elements of heel there. Then over the next couple weeks, they're going to change that to, he's fun-loving, but don't provoke him because he's a giant and he'll kill you. So technically, this is Big Show. Big Show's turning face which is the fifth turn since his debut, and he debuted 13 months ago at this point. And around 13 months ago, 13 and a half months. Three of these, this is the third turn on this retro review. Two of them happened before he even started SmackDown. So there you go. There you go. There's the counter. We're on five. Oh, <laughs> uh, and every every time he turns, you have to take another shot. So you're gonna have to buy like a really um, dangerous sake or something like that, and that can be the be the punishment every time he turns. And by the time you actually finish the SmackDown retro review, you're gonna end up um, with one half one side of your body having given up. <laughs> oh, uh, Edge and Christian come out yourself for the one thing before was, you know, they send Michael Foley who was not going to interview them. And he goes, like, we weren't just good. We were really good. Well said, Edge. And this, it's weird because they start hinting at the heel versions of Edge that they're going to become. And, uh, you know, say to the Hardy boys, you know, pick your chins up, guys. There's nothing, nothing wrong being second best. And then there's a brawl with uh, the Dudleys coming out as well. Uh, Edge gets hit with a 3D, but then the champions scurry away when uh, the Dudleys and Hardys are brawling, which I thought was going to lead to either Edge and Christian or the Hardys coming out during the Dudley's match with TNA later on, but no, no, they, they're no sign of them. But it was weird because Edge and Christian start the, the hint towards full on heels, but yeah, there's no hint of that on this match. They just come out, have a match, and fuck off. It's one of the most stop start turns you've ever had. It feels less of a turn and more of a um, 17 point um, reversal in your car. So event, it probably is going to take at least a couple of weeks before they eventually go through with it. And during that time, all they're going to probably be doing is messing around with Edge and Christian's characters. But 
to be fair, as long as we get um, the benefits of flash photography, I think I can live with that. Sorry, I missed both. I think I'm thinking of next week's for uh, DNA don't fight the Dudleys later on. They fight uh, DX and Lewis. Uh, and then DX get a prominent match on this show. I'm pretty sure they get featured again on this SmackDown. Whereas Kane, you know, him who got his revenge against X-Pac uh, the night before, fights Bill Buchanan. The crowd suddenly lose interest as soon as Bill goes for his top rope off the middle rope clothesline and slips. Kane quickly wins with a tilt slam and then gets handcuffed to the ring post and uh, they basically smash in Kane's hand because I think Kane might be injured as well, legitimately. And so Kane has to be written off by getting beat up by Bill Buchanan and the boss man. Paul Bear tries to hit Bill Buchanan with a, with a steel chair, but Bill no-sold no it. Uh, I think, I, I, think well. I find it quite interesting that when having to write off one of your big semi-main eventers in Kane, they decide to give it to the big boss man and Bo Buchanan. Of all people. I just... I would be curious, though, how he got injured then. Because if he could successfully complete the match at WrestleMania, and then the next night he has to be written out injured, where exactly was it that he got injured? I'd be curious to find out, I have to admit. Yeah, because he's... Spoiler alert, looking ahead, he's not on the next couple of episodes, he's not on Backlash, he's on the poster for Judgment Day, but doesn't have a match at Judgment Day. Uh, but it does wrestle Insurrection, I believe, in between the two. So I think the bit about him not being at Judgment Day is just less about having nothing for him rather than him being injured. So I don't know. I mean, I remember like, being very angry about the shortness of the match. Maybe in hindsight that was why it was so short, maybe because he was injured, but it's weird because of all the ways to write him out as well, it just seems like a weird one. Like it would have been fine if you might as well just. I'm just going to go back to it. They should have just ended it all at No Way Out because the match is pointless. And then the next night, you know, X Pac and Road Dog are moving on as a tag team, and are in the next couple of weeks we're going to get a tag team title shot. Whereas Kane's just being written out because he's injured. So who really looks like the winners there? Thankfully, it all makes sense in the end. No, it won't. Speaking of not making sense, the bit that causes the controversy on uh, SmackDown, where we had the show opening with Shane McMahon talking about how much he respects his father and everything, and you know how brilliant it was when he revealed that he was he helped get the family back together and all that other crap. But then he says he wants to have a match with The Rock. Then out come Triple H and Stephanie. And Stephanie's just limping down to the ring, selling the bottom field they also got at WrestleMania. And then Triple H goes, no, I want the rock stars tonight. And the group pop went, obviously, non-title. <laughs> and then Vince comes out, he hugs everybody in the ring. And he does the old classic heel explanation by saying, I don't. Frankly, I don't owe you an explanation. And because they're in uh, California, they're near Hollywood, he said, you know, The Rock is quite like all of you. You know, all you people in LA, he's vain, fake. He talks about, he's like people for having plastic surgery. And he says, I crush The Rock's dreams. Like, inevitably, all of your dreams will be crushed. And I think he also hints at The Rock, he and The Rock uh, having a match. And also he hints at how he made The Rock as the corporate champion. 
for that next week. I watched these all. I watched the two Raws and Smackdowns uh, very close together. I don't remember which one, but at some point he acknowledges he interrupted during the corporation, which I pointed out in the build. Where the fuck was that? He explained Vince was with the Rock. So then they all draw straws uh, to face Rock and Shane ends up uh, drawing a short straw. But I don't. But Sean drawing a short straw is maybe an expression for being unlucky and doing something you don't want to do. But Shane wanted to face the Rock, so I don't get it. And so the Rock fights Shane McMahon in the main event. He chases him at the ramp immediately, where Triple H jumps him. They, the brawly goes over the announce table. Shane's laying in punches. The referee goes down, and Triple H hits the pedigree, but the Rock manages to kick out. And then after and all the scuffle, it ends with you know Shane, Stephanie, and Vince on the outside. Rock hits Triple H with a pedigree and for some reason pins Triple H. Uh, the referee gets in the ring and counts. The bell rings. Rock's music plays. Rock holds up the WWF title as if he won it while GR and King talk about if the Rock won the title or not. So I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to probably come back to this several times during our review because I went through it chronologically. Um, basically, at this point, when I saw it, uh, when watching the f- episode of SmackDown, my thinking, I basically just said to myself, oh, it, uh, I feel like there's a bait and switch coming. So at, th- at that point, I thought it was going to be like a brief moment of interest um, that will quickly be moved on from. So originally when I saw this, it wasn't that big of a deal to me because it really wasn't that big of a deal in general. But the more attention that gets given to it through the episode, the more annoyed I would start to get. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it as we go along, detailing the level of annoyance I was at. So when, once I got to my biggest annoyance, you can hear it in all its glory. How's that? That sounds good. That sounds good. But we open the show uh, with the recap from Adam Raw. We have Shane uh, out in the parking lot looking for for Vince. He's on the phone asking when the hell he's going to get there. And then we go into a match to actually start the show with Rikishi after his big win with one fourth of the WrestleMania main event. Don't forget on Raw, he suddenly gets an IC title shot against Chris Benoit. Once again, they seem to just pick people out of that. Like, so and so, you're fighting this person for the Intercontinental title tonight, or you're fighting this person for the European title. You just seem to pick names out of a hat. It's very rare that somebody actually does anything and get it, but you know, at least Rikishi is over. He's got, he's, he got a win at WrestleMania and on Raw, so he's slightly more deserving than some other people. Uh, decent uh, clash against Styles here. Rikishi goes for a, a sit down after a sunset flip, but Benoit moves out the way of his massive arse. Uh, Benoit actually manages to get control until Rikishi decides, I'm going to stop selling your moves now. It's just sells, no sells these chops. And then I literally looked away to look at something that a message someone sent me, looked back up and Benoit was delivering a Northern Light suplex. Went to look back at my phone and think, ah, he's not going to beat Rikishi with a Northern Light suplex. And then Benoit's music started playing. Like, okay, he beat Rikishi with a Northern Light suplex. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not really gonna disagree with you on that one. Um, I thought it was it was kind of nice in in on in one way that we actually got to start off an episode of SmackDown with a match, which is so rare every now and again that it's worth mentioning whenever it does happen. 
and it's and I and I also think that the choice of having Rikishi to kick off the uh, show is a really good decision because following his tag team victory of Kane at WrestleMania, he's on a very good trajectory going up the up the mid card, and he's got such a good connection with the crowd already, which you can see by the way they're celebrating as soon as he comes out. Um, slightly distracted by his very obvious cleavage as he was walking down. But um, I emotionally came to the terms with that very quickly. And I, I love seeing a defending champion, a fighting champion, I, especially with like titles such as like the Intercontinental title, which really is supposed to be the workhorse title, the title that your best technical wrestler goes out and performs every night with. And that's exactly what Benoit represents. Um, so seeing him come out to defend it and from what you said, this was his second time already defending it in le- in less than a week, which is which I was quite happy with as well. So um, some really some really good thoughts for it when it was happening. And I lo- I lo- also like the fact that neither man was intimidated and they went straight to the battle, so it made both of them look very good. There yeah. was this there was a slightly uncomfortable moment where Rikishi did a super kick to the back of Benoit's head and. In retrospect, that has a very uncomfortable um, edge to it. But the winning with the overhead bridge suplex was a surprisingly clean victory. Um, But it was also a bit of out of nowhere. I, similar to you, was like, oh, he's not going to win with the overhead bridge suplex. And then they got a freak out and I was like, did Mikishi fall asleep and forgot to actually kick out or something? Because that just seemed... Um, very stupid. The may, there's two major negatives, unfortunately. The first one is that the discussion of the controversy over who the WWF champion, which is such a non-point to begin with, has already started taking over the actual interest of the announcers more than the rest of the match itself. And it's already, due to that, becoming slightly insulting. And, I, and I'm already thinking to myself, is Triple H in this match? No. Was he defending the title in the, uh, when he was facing The Rock? No. And I'm already thinking to myself, this is absolute utter bollocks. Uh, like Less than 10 minutes into the uh, show, and I'm thinking to myself, this is what I've got to sit through. So it's already gone from bait and switch to me thinking what the, what the actual fuck this is going to be absolute bollocks. And the second point I have to say is regarding after the match, which actually ties in very well to my first is that I thought Rikishi attacking out the match made him a very sore loser as he has no legitimate reason for attacking Benoit. He lost clearly. I mean, it was so bad. I actually had to agree with Jerry, the King Lawler when he says Rikishi is a sore loser. So you had what was starting to look to be a very good match ending very suddenly in a confusing manner. But the positive is, is that according to Michael Cole's logic with the WWF title, I guess Rikishi's bonsai drop means he's now the intercontinental champion. Mm. Yeah, I know it's it's weird, but yeah, the the rock thing I'll get into in the next segment. But the the match, you know, there was it went right straight into it probably because he was like, we've got a lot of time to give to this next uh, in ring segment that's going to add to. So if you guys could, you know, hurry along, you know, you gotta, don't want to take up too much of these people. Don't want to take up too much of these people's time. But yeah, like he, he hits the door and like, I think it requires a certain amount of training to to keep the person's shoulders down while holding onto this move. And so, like, the, the obvious side difference between Benoit and Rikishi makes it kind of weird to see, like, 
it was more a fisherman suplex where he's kind of holding on at least one of the legs, then that would have made sense. Or if you try to get a submission win and turn it into like a roll up, there were so many ways I thought this match was going to go. I didn't. You know, it was it was so quick they didn't even have time for anybody, like any of the radicals to get involved or anything like that. Uh, but still, like it still shows I think a certain amount of faith in Benoit, and you know, given these like two quick uh, wins, you know, having won the ice title at, at WrestleMania, which still has a lot of prestige to it at this stage. But yeah, I, I still thought like Rikishi looked like a sore loser afterwards. Like it made no sense. Uh, we get to the next thing where Vince is finally arrived at the arena. Gosh, I was so worried. And he and Shane head to the ring for this very long 20 minutes in ring segment. But I was already focused writing down the fact that I could see two very interesting signs. Or actually, sorry, three interesting One that says, see Shane run sign. Uh, someone said, we want TNA and we don't mean Test and Albert. Actually, that's word for word what they said on the thing. Like, no, that's not the TNA we want. Mm. And the top one, in my opinion, is that blatantly behind Shane and Vince, as they're talking about the WF title, you can see someone's got a giant sign which has got the Decepticon symbol on it. I've... I have a lot of opinions about this segment. Get, I get to the end of the segment and I will just unleash everything. I'm going to be honest because I've got... I can feel it building up like um, uh, like sick in my stomach. So it's going to be a, a absolute vitriol of anger at the end of the segment. I can guarantee that. So Vince, you know, and I've really shortened this down to make it seem shorter than I than it was because Vince basically comes out and he brings out uh, Earl Hebner, complains that Earl's not walking down fast enough, and then. He does the same for Lily, basically berating both of them for like what they did on Raw for their part in this quote-unquote controversy. He confirms that uh, Triple H is still a champion. Like it should have been simple enough. Like well, simple enough. Rock pinned Triple H. He shouldn't have. Their title was not on the line. Triple H was not a participant. So is the Rock the champion? No. Good night, everybody. That's that saves you a lot of a lot of your time. But no, they have to draw this out having Vince, you know, talk down to his employees. He says to Earl Hebner, Earl Hebner, mind, who was uh, involved in the Montreal Screwjob, you have said that he has permanently damaged the reputation and credibility of the WWF officials. And talks about Hillary uh, in San Jose, makes Lillian Garcia sing, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? And then if you, and she said she because she announced the the winner even though Triple H wasn't in the match that if you make it close to like that again all you'll be saying is the blues and then tells her to go away. That's <laughs> great. Oh, I do. I, I I love Lillian Garcia. She's she's got such a lovely voice and she really suits uh, having um, getting to show it on a regular basis, but um, it's, it's unfortunate that one of the first times that the fans actually get to um, get a proper idea of her is this segment, but I'm still, I'm still building up, still building up my anger. So don't worry. There's still time, still time. <sighs> really old, not knowing that she was meant to sing and looking very uncomfortable. So it wouldn't surprise me if it came out that she didn't know she was meant to sing in this segment, even though it's, she's all in front of all these people and she's standing in front of her boss saying 
please sing Do You Know The Way To San Jose in front of me and all these people and the people who will all be watching this in two days' time on television. But then he continues their East promo while the fans loudly chant Shane's a pussy. And he goes, you, you people are vulgar. And then she, he, I think this is the first time he says that he has balls like grapefruits. And then compares Shane's testicles to pomegranates, which Shane has the most confused look on his face as if he didn't know he was going to say that. And then he, again, once said confirms that The Rock's not the WF champion. And he says that The Rock will be in a handicap match later on tonight against both Vince and Shane McMahon. Was a commentator like, wait, what? The Rock's going to fight the McMahons? Like, even though the fact that the McMahons have headlined pay-per-views and handicap matches against, like, the so-called Steve Austin, like, a year before. Uh, and Gerald Aller goes on about the fighting prowess of the McMahon family, talking about Vince's great-uncle, uh, Angus McMahon, who was one of the toughest fighters in all of Ireland, because McMahon's maybe an Irish name, but Angus is a fucking Scottish name, you twat. <sighs> I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Do you know what? Okay, so so at the beginning of this, I'm thinking to myself, so we're going to have a segment dedicated to a supposed controversy that isn't even a legitimate controversy. So not only is the big story pointless, but the lead into the segment is pointless, which means that this entire segment is utter bullshit. This was, <laughs> this was tension given to... Something so superfluous and unneeded that I that it was it was insulting. It was actually insulting. And the, this concept of like, oh, the integrity of WWF officials have never been questioned. I literally just wrote, really, <laughs> really. I mean, the only positive I'd say is how good Vince is at generating heat because this segment could have fallen flat. It could have been like a souffle that had a trombone go off next to it and just goes completely to the floor. But, I mean, his treatment of both El Hebner and Leon Garcia was the sort of brilliant antics that we're expecting from him. But his suggestions to Lillian was pretty fucking creepy, which was uncomfortable. You've got that bad enough when it's Jerry the King Lawler doing it, who is a is basically a useless foghorn in the corner. But when it's the actual manager or the owner of the company being that creepy in public is very unnerving to watch, especially considering the allegations that has actually been thrown out at times, allegedly. Um, now, the there was so, I also did not have it in me to ever need to see Shane's pride in his dad's grapefruits, which just, um, considering that supposedly Vince has previously wanted to have incest storylines involving Shane and or Stephanie again, has a really uncomfortable edge to it and makes it really creepy. So you end up building up all this way to just turn out and say, oh, it's going to be the McMahons against Rock tonight. Like, that's a big, massive surprise. And it's like, well, you just had Shane on war fighting The Rock, which led to this big bullshit of a controversy that has absolutely nothing to do with it. And then you're going to have Vince wrestling, which considering that just a couple of weeks ago, he was in a tag match with The Rock against other people. You're acting like this is the biggest surprise you've ever seen in your life. And to me, it's not a surprise at all. It's completely expected. So, You've got a bullshit reasoning for a controversy that should have never occurred in the first place. And it's basically a way to try and generate interest in an episode that ends up completely like throwing aside the entire, cons- the entire 
positives like you, you if you're gonna have an episode in one uh, with a, a focused storyline make the storyline fucking good because otherwise you're starting off on shit and you're building up to shit and it just ends up continuous continuing up like that and uh, i i actually got more annoyed the longer that the whole thing continued to go on because it was just coming up with more reasons to piss me off every time I thought about it. I mean, watching, trying to get through these segments, it had already taken me two attempts to watch. Now, usually I could finish the entire show in one. I'd already had to turn off twice by this point because I was starting to get anger. And I'll tell you at the end how many times it took me to fucking complete it because the controversy at the beginning is the biggest load of bullshit possible. It is insulting to any fan with more than two brain cells. Triple H is the WWF champion. He is not the fucking hardcore champion. He doesn't defend it 24-7. There's no, oh, if there's a referee around, the title is on the line, bollocks. It's plain and simple. If the title isn't announced as being on the line and the champion is not even in the fucking match, which he wasn't because it was Shane versus Rock and Triple H was in his like normal clothes, jeans and a shirt, then no title change has occurred. And the longer they're going to keep on discussing it, the more I'm going to be turning on this episode. And by the end, I'm just going to be sat there going, I'm glad this crap is over. Fuck this shit. You okay? You feeling step therapeutic for you? I, I feel I feel better. I'm not gonna lie. I feel I feel like I've just feel uh, I feel like I've just unleashed a lot of anger. Um, I'm not gonna. I hated this. I hated it. I hated every step of it. It was getting more and more painful. Like when you're saying, "Are you ready to do recording?" I'm saying no. It's because I was thinking to myself, I had to go back and watch the rest of this episode. This was this was such a low point for me that I. This is the point where I was like. Why am I putting myself through this pain? Because it was so insulting to the audience. And that's what it was. It was plain insulting. And that angers me more than anything. I can take bad decisions. I can take bad matches. I can take mistakes. I can do all of that. But don't insult your fucking audience. Don't be so insulting as to act like they've got the brain cells of a fucking mollusk. And then that they all have no idea how a wrestling match actually works. And don't bombard me with it because then you're already turning me against you. So if I can usually start an event, think to myself, right, I'm hopeful. I'm currently at, like, say, a six out of ten, hoping it'll go good or bad, whatever, and let it go up or down, depending on. This plummeted it down to minus 2,000, which is appropriate due to the fucking year. And we were only 15 minutes into the actual show. So this had given it a huge, big uphill challenge for it to even make it watchable. So if this is how I was feeling at this point, I bet you can only imagine how I felt the rest of the show. Yeah. So, like I said, it makes no sense. I think they're trying to, like they're, they're trying to continue a thing with Errol Hebner, so they had to have him involved in some way. And now they're trying to... Like it's gonna make sense. Well, I don't say it makes sense. When they get to backlash when you've got like the special referee and everything like that, and that man's basically complaining about things going against them. So now they're trying later on. They're still gonna try and change things to their advantage. So I think you're. It's just a convoluted way of getting where they wanted to go, which is basically not trusting the referees with Triple H. So trying to make them sit one of them, somebody within their own group, the referee. 
and also continuing Triple H's issues with Earl Hebner. But come on, Tay, fuck you. Like, pinning somebody who's not even in the match, anybody can, even most casual fans can see that that's not how wrestling works. Like, and the Rock, and it makes the Rock look even more stupid as well for posing with the title in the first place. I mean, if he got knocked out and then counted because he said the Rock told him to, so fair enough to him. William Garcia doesn't look at that anything because, well, she announced that the Rock was the winner, even though she he pinned the wrong guy. So, if anything, you've just not only insulted the fans' intelligence, but you've just made most of the year top people look, especially the Rock, who is the guy right now, look fucking stupid. The, the most annoying thing is that there was a way they could have actually gotten a way around it. You could have literally just had it, instead of this controversy, had it been that The Rock is saying to everyone, when it's just me and Triple H, I can beat him to the point that I get a free count. Because that's what actually happened. It was him against Shane originally, and Shane left, and Triple H tried to interfere, and Rock was able to take control, hit the rock bottom, and Triple H was down long enough that the rock got a visual pin on him and you, you could just say i wanted to emphasize how obvious it is that triple h cannot beat me one-on-one by the fact that when it was one-on-one Earl hebner had long enough time that he could count to it and lillian garcia would have been announcing me as the wwf champion and that's what triple h would have been hearing at wrestlemania if not for the fact he had 10 people or whatever backing him if they had done the smart thing and looked at it from a psychological effect as opposed to a literal effect they could have done something with it and you could have had triple h having to be getting defensive and trying to react to it and it would make sense some of his actual actions but instead they went down the piss poor route of trying to create controversy regarding it and ended up doing more damage because of it and that's that's a storyline decision that is reprehensible to some degrees in how much damage it can actually do to everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So we've got so much still more actually to come. So we best just move on from this. As TNA take on the Dudley Boys. So yeah, go. That's me getting confused watching all this in such quick succession. Bubba gets uh, worked over by TNA. TNA actually get quite a lot of the offense in. Before ultimately getting defeated, which seems to be their trademark. Like, Mint look dominant, but don't give them in the win. They're, when they're fighting shit teams like, like Buddy Hedges at WrestleMania. Devon gets worked over as well. Uh, the Bubba, the Dudleys do hit the What's Up at spying their refs back, even though their referee's never given them any trouble for it before. Because, you know, this guy's blatantly headbutting another man's crotch. Uh, Bubba hits the, the cutter. Uh, they hit the 3D on test for the win. And Trish. As I tend to test, try and wake him back up, and Bubba suddenly gets that look in his eye that we all get uh, at that young stage, that young, you know, vulnerable stage in our life where we enjoy putting women through tables. And Bubba tries to put her through the table, but uh, Albert manages to solve them. And this will start our whole thing with Bubba's like, I will put you through a table. One day, I will put her through a table. It became his his challenge, his his must, his need in life, and I. It's understandable because, as you said, we've all gone through that moment in life where we really need to put a woman through a table. Um, it makes complete and utter sense. Um, it is a little bit frustrating that yet again, 
testing Alba end up just dropping the match after being relatively in control. Um, they're not really getting the victories that they need at the moment, I don't think, apart from Hedges, and even that is very quickly being going to be forgotten, it feels. Because um, the, thing, the thing about TNA is I think that at this time, I, I, they could have actually done something really well with them because, the for one thing, they are definitely the most powerful team in the tag team division, looking at their size. And I know it, I know it's going to sound a little bit daft, but I love how they can deadlift Trish completely over the top rope in the ring um, with relative ease in a manner that shows how strong they are, uh, while at the same time also showing the subtlety of a power play with Trish in control of them. You think how nasty Trish is supposed to be around that time, how willing she is to do whatever it takes to win coupled with these two absolute behemoths, they should be much more dangerous than when they actually are. But at the moment, even when you have Bubba looking like he's gotten his first concussion of the night after a test big boot, um, it's, it's not surprising that they lose. No, however, I will say that it does make sense that Devon and Bubba Ray are more experienced. So, of course, Devon would use that experience in order to save the Dudley boys. And it does show that development of the experienced Dudley boys defeating the inexperienced team of Test and Albert. But they are going to get to a point that they are going to have to start giving TNA some actual victories because eventually they're going to completely weaken them to the point it won't matter how big and strong they are and the fact they're managed by Trish and get reactions from the crowd. Nobody's going to care anymore. I remember when TNA first showed up properly on uh, this series and I thought, oh, no, I think over the next couple of months, we're going to see, you know, TNA were better than, you know, people remember them. You know, it's not, uh, I don't get why people don't really remember this one all that much, other than the fact it gave us Trish Stratus. In the first few weeks, other than WrestleMania, where they suddenly said, well, let's give these, this team a, a first big win at WrestleMania, even though, which, but now I think that's maybe their only win so far was at WrestleMania. And looking at how they've been booked in between WrestleMania, you know, They've been booked, you know, on either end, you know, before and now after WrestleMania. It's one of those I don't really, I don't really know why you bothered because they just now they're just the obstacle uh, for Bubba Ray that, that stops Bubba Ray from putting Trish to the table. Well, Bubba just lies on the mat, thinking challenge accepted. <laughs> yes, it. The focus is not going to be on testing Albert's ability as a team. It's going to be. Um, on Bubba's fi- uh, fixation with putting women through tables, which, I mean, to be fair, it does give both the Dudley boys and Testa now, but something to focus on after com- um, after WrestleMania. Um, speaking of which, I do like the fact that Michael Coe is talking about how good the ladder match was at WrestleMania was in order to put over the Dudley boys. Um it's just unfortunate that King then pokes in with how much he likes Trish. Because if it wasn't so obviously legitimate, he would be a parody of himself. But it gives it gives them something to do. Don't just like the fallout from having finished WrestleMania. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces, most likely. They're not going to be challenging for the title straight away. I can live with all that. And I'd much rather that they have a, a feud to cover the time and give TNA and experience as the team, but TNA do, do need to start picking up victories in order to have any edge to them. Cause currently they are, 
they're they're just easy. They're just uh, they're just jobbers, unfortunately, with a really good manager, and that's all. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Look up back to each to Kurt Angle, and speaking of you know people getting you know picked out of a hat for title shots, Angle randomly has a shot at the tag team title despite not being in a tag team. So now he's in the position where he needs to find a tag team partner. And so he tries to get Scotty Tuhati to be his tag team partner. And Scotty Tuhati basically says he wouldn't do that to Grandmaster Sexy. And he keeps uh, talking about calling him his dog and uh, Angle is not cool. So he keeps thinking he's talking about his pet. Like, what are you doing talking about your dog? I mean, take it to the vet or something, but are you going to team with me? Tonight? Like, no, oh, dog. Like, is that a yes or... I I hate when you see a storyline such as this where someone is just awarded a title shot um, for the tag team titles but doesn't actually have a, a partner. I understand that if there's already a feud going on and someone has to find a replacement, or like there's a there's a classic example of when Chavo Guerrero got injured when Eddie and he was supposed to be challenging for the titles, so Eddie got the opportunity to find a replacement and he came up with Tajiri, who was a very out out of left wing decision, but they had really good chemistry together and that situation it made sense having to find a partner. It doesn't when someone is just randomly told, "Oh, you get a title shot," and then now you have to find a partner. I mean. In that context, what would happen if he didn't find a partner? Would he still go on and wrestle the match anyway because he's already been gifted? It makes it makes no it makes no sense for giving him an actual part for an actual tag team title shot. And the, this could this could have been a point that if if the I was already annoyed, as you can tell from the last segment, and I was already going against this tight uh, this match, uh, this show, everything, and there was a possibility for them to get me back on side. And this felt like they were basically going, oh, if you were pissed off before, that were really going to fucking add to it. And I was just like, fuck sake. <laughs> just, oh, it's just, it's not going well. Speaking <laughs> uh, of things not going well, this really annoyed me because it seemed like they set this, they planned this match up for a taped show this point out, this is a tape show, by the way, where Perry Saturn is taking on Taz, but it seems like Taz's music hit, Taz walks out, and somebody in the grill realises, shit, we actually don't have time, we booked one too many matches, and so tells Perry Saturn, go ahead and jump him, and you two can immediately brawl, brawl to the back, because that's, that's exactly what happens. Perry Saturn jumps Taz, they have a bit of a brawl, one of them goes, gets sent into the stairs, I guess Saturn I gets sent into the stairs, and then they immediately brawl to the back, and we cut straight to a rock uh, interview. Literally, they're not barely even out of sight or a camera view before it's the like, hand just cuts. Now we're backstage with the rock. It's like, this is the kind of segments that I fucking hate on this show that are so just short and ultimately pointless for how short they are. They're like, why did you even include this in the broadcast? Did you get you, this is taped. I know editing isn't what it uh, will become. You know, back in 2000, but you could really just cut this out. You could have just had this be whatever, something longer, and then cut it out or trim it down in the two days that you have. Like, what was the point in this? Because I don't get why they had them went to the match because, you know, Taz is annoyed at Saturn for 
getting involved in the year going I'll take actually had on Monday. But virtually I don't even think this is longer than a minute. I'm pretty sure that I basically uh the music started, I went I went across the room, turned on the kettle, came back and they were both already gone. I it was it was that it was basically that pointless. They they didn't even allow them to get backstage. One of them had gone through the curtain and then it automatically cut to the rock prepared right there and then to have his interview. And all that does is that, I, I, don't get me wrong, I love the rock. I think he is definitely the biggest star on the show, but way to treat the rest of your roster as inconsequential. And it just made me wonder whether does this mean that KFAB wise, does KFAB wise, does this mean that if Taz and Saturn had actually wrestled in the ring, that The Rock would have had to wait until the match was over, or would they have cut the promo over the match? Which means that there could have been three possible options where I don't think any of them would be very good, but all of them are annoying. And it's like this is now three segment, three to four segments in a row where I've gotten annoyed watching because of the stupidity of the decisions they're making. And then at this moment, I'm trying to distract myself. So I'm focusing on the fact that the rock has a spot on his chest instead. And it's just stupidity. Considering that it's then followed up by another bit of stupidity, by the fact that DX finally arrived to the arena 35 minutes into a 90-minute fucking broadcast. (laughs) (sighs) I barely did down what the rock even said in his promo. He doesn't acknowledge his decision to really pin Triple H. Uh, even though Triple H wasn't involved in the match and the title was on the line and all that. But The Rock does uh, address Shane and Vince, telling uh, Shane to go suck a monkey's nipple and that Vince can go lick a llama's anus. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so much. And then, to the The Rock is the, the still on top, no matter what everybody throws at him. And he says, tonight, tonight Shane, you get the front of the rack then. Vince, you get the back. I just want to imagine the rock going back and forth, slapping them, uh, and you just got chuckle vision uh, over it, going like, to me, to you, to me, to you, as one gets the front, one gets the back, to me, to you. If, if someone edited that together, I would gladly share it and just rejoice in the ridiculousness of one getting the back, one getting the front. Great <laughs> that would work as well, because had to swing it wildly, and it had to be standing very close together. From not to both up the front and then both be cut with the back. So that's going to be some accuracy on the rocks part. Uh, well, he, he could be like, wait, guys, get together, get closer, closer. Right, you're, two, you're a foot away from each other now. That's perfect. Right. And because you're both idiots, you can hold my hand and slap one another with it because I don't have the energy to actually to me to you. So therefore, you've got Shane and Vince going to me, ch- to you, ch- to me, ch- to you, ch- to me, ch- and so on and so forth. And do you know what? That still would have been more entertaining than the first 35 fucking minutes of this show. <laughs> uh, I do love that, like, The Rock is, like, detail. Yeah, he won the Royal Rumble. He's a former WWE champion, yet, you know, Vince is still, sorry, Jerry Lawler is still bringing up, bringing up the fact that The Rock is somehow going to be a challenge for The Rock to take on both Vince and Shane at the same time, when really it's not a disadvantage to The Rock because he wants to beat up both Shane and Vince anyway. As he clearly make, as he makes clear in this promo, so the Rock doesn't give a fuck clearly. And as you said, yeah, DX show up in the DX Express, and I think this segment is a bit later on. I'm going to mention it now because you know they they expl- I think they dropped a mention on commentary earlier on that 
DX were at some sort of autograph signing and uh, and Triple H gets annoyed how convenient, you know, you guys because now autograph signing that runs over into the start of the show and, the, and now you guys are booking yourselves into the main event, you know, you Tri- know, DX might get a piece of the rock, you know, uh, Xbox and Road try to convince them, like, let us take your place, let us fight the rock. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, okay, so DX have shown that they can just come and go as they please, seemingly on this show. Nobody cares about being on time unless you're just one of those losers in the undercard, you know, doing all the work. But, uh, like, so the main excuse that they can come up with to provide DX are late is they were at an autograph signing that went so long that it ran into the start of the show. Question then, if there were so many people in the same city where SmackDown's being held that you're able to still get the, your bus, you know, within a certain bus distance to the arena, if there are that many people, why are those people staying so long and missing the start of SmackDown where you'd assume they'd have tickets for? Because SmackDown is clearly sold out when you see it, so... How many people are they expensively wanted to get a ticket for SmackDown, but then decided, oh, I can't. oh, but DX are doing a signing, so I'm going to go to that, despite not going to SmackDown. Like, I don't know. you trying to just, they're your top peels being like, but Triple H is cool and popular. People want to be like Triple H, so we're going to say that there are all these people wanting to meet Triple H and these other people, because that's the only reason they were late. Seriously, that's, that's the best excuse you could come up with. They were anographing. They're going to be the most hated group and the fucking company. Stephanie, why would Stephanie be at an autograph saying with them? He just assumed Stephanie was with them. Maybe Stephanie was saying, I don't know, they didn't divulge that information. But Stephanie can't cut a promo nowadays because it's it's deafening chance of slut drowning her out. So why would Stephanie have such a long lineup be with such a long line of fans that want her to sign something for them? How desperate are these fuckers? I didn't realise it's about to come I, 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 the worrying thing is I feel like you stumbled uh, accidentally upon really good points. I mean, like, uh, yeah, one, it, it, one, it doesn't make sense in terms of the fact that it's supposed to be your big heel group and you're saying that despite the fact they're the biggest assholes in the company and everyone hates them, you're now also saying that they're so popular at an autograph session that they're going to be late to work. Um but two, that also would suggest that means that lots of people stayed in the line in order to actually get the autographs, even though nobody likes them. And that means that your sold-out crowd may actually not have everyone in it. And those who are going to it would have avoided the session. And it's just, it just, it just, oh my God, I think I just went cross-eyed. Uh, it just, it's, it's a bullshit one line thrown off out of pure laziness with no actual thought put for it, which, hey, that sounds like the rest of this fucking episode. Um, there's just, uh, unless you've got it, that they're going one at a time to each person and asking Stephanie to sign your favorite slut staff. I have no, I, I have no belief whatsoever that she would have been there. And then it gets even weirder when she starts saying to Vince, oh, you know how Triple H gets angry. And I'm thinking, why the fuck are you calling your husband Triple H? I mean, is there, is there like a, is there something, is, do you have to have it? You're married for 12 months before you're allowed to use his first name or something? I mean, that, that's fucking stupid. That's another penny of shit on top of the shit particle. This is like, this is starting to get to a point, it's like having a fucking planet going around the sun. It's got rings around it, and it's all made out of shit. It's just... That's not a happy Vince McMahon groan. That's a frustration 
of like, what the fuck am I sitting through? And I'm just, I'm waiting for a positive. Give me a positive, please. Tell me something good comes up. Unfortunately, I don't think so. But like, I have another point here. Like, Kublitz is annoyed at Vince for booking him in this autograph uh, session. But clearly, like, that, that many people, that should be a good thing because if there's not that many people there, that means nobody fucking cares about you, which should have been the case because you're not always meant to like you because you're the heel. But then like, he's moaning at them for booking themselves in the main event. And so like Vince, so Triple H is seemingly still not trusting of Vince. And they keep doing this with DX, like, even like as far back as when a few weeks after Triple H and Zephyr got together where there are weeks where they tease ascension within DX or within the McMahon Helmsley group. Like then suddenly I go, oh no, but then within a week or even the same episode, it's all taken care of and it's all like oh like they're not they're back together and they're stronger than ever. They're still cluttering up all of your TV time. So like and also Triple H being angry at Vince for this whole autograph thing and not letting DX fight the rock instead of the McMahons and Stephanie trying to come between them and you know, try and sort things out. That leads to nothing because for all that folks. The McMahon Helsley group, they're not going anywhere for at least a couple of months, so you know, strap yourselves in, get fucking comfortable. Try a couple of fucking dead eight, uh, decades. Christ. <laughs> oh, I'm so angry I forgot what the next segment was. Oh, fucking off. Head cheese is here. Why are you saying the thing? It, it says something when even I wasn't looking forward to this, because you have it that Head Cheese seemingly turned here at WrestleMania, so... I'm expecting them to come out um, as the heels, but instead they come out entering the ring as the baby faces. And by this point, my head is starting to hurt. And it's not the kind of head that you want as well, that Arsenal used to always offer people. But, wait, no. He didn't offer it, but he talked about it then. So I don't know, it makes it seem like fucking Arsenal's going around making illicit offers to people randomly. But don't let Arsenal follow you into the bathroom. That's all I'm saying. But I won't let him. I won't let him follow me into any room. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's in our big time fucks all of him for good reason, Mister. I don't believe uh, there's no such thing as comedy wrestling. It's how the audience perceives it. You had a mascot called Chess McCheese and playing his arse cheeks at WrestleMania, and you don't believe there's such a thing as comedy wrestling. Fuck off, Al. And uh, when they came out and really, oh, they're fighting Boss Man McCann. Alison knows still trying to get the crowd into chanting head cheese. And they actually do chant it. So thinking, where the fuck were you people during WrestleMania to make this whole thing seem worth it? Because the one time where they want people to be chanting head cheese at WrestleMania, nobody's fucking chanting it. And now they're chanting it here. It's just. And they're still yeah, they're still together. They're not heels. They're fighting Boss Man and Buchanan. And they're not even talking about the match because Joel randomly implies that not only is a. Uh, Buchanan, a former prison like correctional officer, also he spends the time behind bars himself, but then immediately tries to drop it as if he's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And then Igor Cole keeps prodding him and jail keeps trying to get him to drop it. All the while, Max, I couldn't care less about what was going on. See, even, I... I, I kind of get Michael Cole wanting to ask questions, but that could have been a case of him wanting Jerry Lawler to explain himself for once. Because the, the thing is, is that that's impossible. Unless it's a case of where he was a prison officer who then went into prison, you cannot go into prison and then become a prison officer. It doesn't work that way. So that's bullshit. That is all bullshit. Jerry Lawler is just adding more absolute ridiculousness to us. And it's like the, 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 
oh, my brain's start, starting to non-compute with this all of this rubbish, I swear. Um, at one point, I, I literally, the only note I put, I put on this one, I think, was um, Al Snow with a lovely Asai Moon Soap. Give that man a Cornetto. <laughs> but I, ha- I, will, I will say, I will say, I think the decision they make at the end of this match in terms of who wins is a good, is a good choice. And I'll let you say who wins first before I explain why I think it works. I don't care who wins. I'm trying to think now what kind of what kind of Cornetto does Elsno does there? What flavour of Cornetto would Elsno go for? Uh, I think, well, it's 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 either gonna be um pink for head or it's gonna be um blue for cheese. Yeah, well Billy Karen still looks you no know, impressive. Uh hits the scissor kick on Al Snow. Like I said, that's that stuff that King goes on about. Yeah, this is the assay mints up by Al Snow. Who began does pick up the win with a uh, after the boss man hits a really shit looking boss man slam. He hits a elbow drop, sorry, the leg drop on. He hits a leg drop on, but on Blackman for the win. Probably the right, right decision because, well, Bill Buchanan has a future seemingly and it doesn't look like head cheese do. Uh, honestly, if you had this as a match on WrestleMania 2000, I don't think it would have impacted the card for that show one iota. <laughs> It would would have made any difference apart from probably well the right the same team would have won and the same team would have lost and the only difference is that um, that it might have been mildly more entertaining than the two matches we actually got I, to, the apart from that Asai moonsault which um, I love that move so I'm always gonna have a little moment where I'm gonna go yeah that's good get him a cornetto um, I have to give credit. Considering how awful the booking has been so far throughout this entire show and how many mistakes have been made, etc., and how frustrated I am with, well, everything, um, I, have to, I have to give credit to the decision to have Buchanan and Bossman win. And I'll say why. This because commentary actually was spending that time discussing how much of a history they have working together. So this is where it makes sense that a team with history working together, relying upon one another, are able to win because they defeat the still relatively new head cheese. So this is really good reason for why both Buchanan, despite being a newcomer to the business, a real rookie in comparison, is able to win alongside the big boss man because they have that history of working together, whereas Al Snow and Steve Blackman still have those issues they're working out. And I thought that this was actually relatively clever booking that in that was informative of the characters i've now overgone how good that was because i was so desperate for any positivity and this was around about the time when i think i had paused it for the third time and had to walk away so i'd already i'd already walked away from this from this thing three times by now so (laughs) can this can this give you an idea of how much trouble it was trying to watch this episode the first time I'm just thinking, of course, the one place you try and find positivity is in something that involves head cheese. No one knew the last couple of weeks. I, I, do you know? And the worrying thing is, it wasn't even head cheese who provided it. The problem mm. is, is that in the ring, they bring no pleasure. But in, in their segments, they are gold, which I am looking forward to over next week. <laughs> Eddie, and Cena show up next to really provide some positive, especially for me. 
Uh, they have an in-ring segment. Uh, I think Eddie's, Eddie comes out to a version of his eventual Latino Heat music, not the, quite the, the music that we know from known for in this time. But then China basically admits that she couldn't resist his Latino Heat as uh, Eddie was kind of confused as to why she finally like, agreed to uh, like, to help him you know, and actually got with him after he'd been flirting with her and being very creepy. Yeah. It's basically... Eddie Guerrero is that guy in the bar who flirts with women that, that he probably can't get with, and then when he actually gets with one, he's like, what, really? <laughs> so it's going to show the confidence that Eddie Guerrero has in his own flirting ability that he's even surprised that China's with him. And uh, she just shits on Jericho, saying he was intimidated by her. He tried to get into the, to her pants. and also implies that he's got a small dick because it's 2000. And uh, Eddie talks about how pretty to be a European champion. He talks about his his Spanish ancestors and just starts r- r- naming off famous Spanish people, and just yeah, which is just uh, fantastic. Uh, then Jericho just runs out for the brawl because Jericho ruins everything. I came back from the crap I'd been watching so far, thinking to myself, "What next?" and came back to this. And I needed this. I'm not going to lie. I needed this segment because um, this was probably the first thing I properly enjoyed throughout. I mean, yes, I have an an issue with the fact that China seemingly turned completely on on Jericho out of nowhere and went with Eddie 24 hours after WrestleMania. But... Eddie is so good at selling the ridiculousness of it that I'm happy to go along with it. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go with that. Um, My initial thoughts were whether or not um, this was actually originally supposed to be a punishment for Eddie to some degrees in that he was made to act very submissive um, to China. I don't know whether it was um, meant to be as a joke or something like that, but Eddie has this amazing ability to turn anything into gold. He is such a tremendous talent. And you notice that their promo is obviously an attempt to turn the fans back on them because as soon as they came out, they were actually getting some cheers and they were relatively popular. And I think that's because China was still relatively popular enough at the time. And Eddie just had such charisma that you couldn't help but kind of react to him which is going to be no surprise looking at what he did over the next couple of years especially in um 2004 but i i like the fact that they tried turning the fans back on the on them so that they could ha- uh generate a huge pop for jericho when he comes up because he did get he got a, he got a big pop when he came out which was positive but the main thing i love about this is that it feels like an actual attempt to make the European Championship important again. Because for me, I feel like the majority of the SmackDowns we've watched together so far, like the European Championship has almost been an afterthought. You had um, British Bulldog, and uh, I think it was, and then I think you had Test, and it was, or someone that I can't remember, it was just, it didn't. It was very much an afterthought. It just appeared on shows, and nothing was really done with it. And then Kurt Angle became champion, but it was done at the same time as he was becoming the Intercontinental Champion. So these two 
sort of like cancelled each other out at times and the European was always going to feel less special than the Intercontinental title. But this is where you've got a good wrestler with the title making a big deal out of it at the same time as he's in a new storyline with China, which is going to generate attention. And you've got Jericho wanting to get revenge and get that European title back. And you're instantly making that title feel important again. And I, that's one of the positives I feel about this storyline. Um, I remember enjoying it when it originally came out, because obviously I was watching at the time. Um, and even now it still works. It still is really good. The chemistry between them does actually pop off the screen and, and um, Eddie just has that it factor. The only negative is that it's too bad that this segment also includes this Jerry Lawler doing racist impressions because, as usual, I hate that man. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, I think with Jericho ruining the segment, isn't just my like, hatred for modern day Jericho coming through. It's more just I was just enjoying Eddie like that much. Yeah, and it does seem like he's always getting around like hugging China's legs and everything. So it does feel like he's maybe the submissive one in the relationship. You know, the whole implication that oh, China's very banished and she wears the pants and everything, or like and, and things like that. But you know, Eddie makes that you know work. I think he's just grateful that she's with him. And like, because like he gets beaten up quite a bit by Jericho, and it's China that eventually has to pull him out and get him to. So, like, the idea that you know, the only reason he has the European title is because of China, the only way he's able to get out of there is because China had to come in and save him again. So, you know, and they, they are going to try, I think, in the next couple weeks, you know, who wears the pants in this relationship? Who gives a shit? But it's going to be a very quick turnaround for these two being a heel act to a face act. And I think we're all the better off for it. 100%. I do agree, actually. Do agree. Uh, Angle's still on the hunt for a partner. He's trying to talk to S.A. Rios, but S.A. Rios doesn't speak English. And so Lita has to translate for him. He talks about how like, you can take it back home to your country. And like, he, he implies that, fucking, I think S.A. Rios is from Mexico, but Angle makes it as if S.A. comes from a very poor third world country and everything. And then S.A. Rios, once he gets translated what Angle has been saying to him, he feels insulted, yells and stuff in Spanish, wanders off with Lita, and Angle, much like the last thing, goes, so is that a yes? Considering he's supposed to uh, exhibit the three eyes of uh, in, uh, integrity, intensity, and intelligence, he displays a complete and utter lack of the latter in that situation. He came across as he came across as more of a hillbilly than anyone. I, I know that's obviously what the joke is supposed to be, but considering what a big thing he makes of his intelligence, he displayed none. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's one of these kind of, he's maybe one of these book smart kind of people, but he's got very little social skills, as it's clear. And the weight of the amount of things that he just clearly insults somebody when he's trying to just, when he seemingly doesn't mean to. But we move on. I, I like Kurt, you know, he's still, these things were still funny to me, especially this one, because just Kurt being an idiot. Uh, well, the show started picking up for me here because the next was a match I was not expecting to see. The light heavyweight title is on the line uh, with Dean Malenko defending against Takamichi Noku. And before we get into the match itself, uh, it just had me thinking that the Radicals, like Eddie's, is slowly but surely moving away from the Radicals. He's, like, he's, not, he's not appearing in segments with them over the next couple of weeks. Uh, he doesn't come out to the Radicals' music. I mean, Benoit still comes out to he's still associated with the Radicals. But 
like something that they don't acknowledge in this week, but they do acknowledge the following week is that three out of the four members of the Radicals all have titles now. Because, you know, Malenko won the light heavyweight title, Benoit won the aircraft title at Mania, the night after then uh, Eddie Guerrero won the European title. Saren's the only one without a title. Bing Sarah can get barely get a fucking match on this show, let alone a title. But like this is something that really should not have been should have been this is something that really should have made a been made a big deal of. The fact that three or four of them have got titles now, they're one away everybody in the faction holding a title. Which is what it's meant to happen with like great factions is supposed to be that moment. Everybody in the faction has a title. You know, happened with evolution and people like that, the undisputed era. But like the radicals are seemingly this forgotten faction, you know. And yet people forget, like, three or four of them held gold at the one time, and yet somehow they're still so forgettable. Yeah, I I agree. And it's really, I think it's only those who watched them at time that probably are, remember them so fondly because they actually because they were probably already familiar to, with them to some degrees and actually lived through it. Whereas a lot of those who may have been afterwards or didn't know or weren't paying as attention as much at the time, to them the radicals are pretty much a non-entity which is especially ridiculous considering if you look at the stories they've had so far i mean they were brought in by cactus jack in the middle of his big feud with triple h that's not a that's not a small introduction they shot fans everywhere by appearing in the front row they got in they had battles with dx they turned on mick foley and then they're elevating the overall standard of the roster, which I know I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks several times, is that they are very good wrestlers that can raise the standard of the show. And that's why, even though it's only been two months, three of them are already entrusted enough to be able to hold titles. And you'll notice that all three of them I've all have either already started or will start doing um, really good work with them. You've got Benoit being given the Intercontinental title, which is one of their more prized titles, regardless of what um, what anyone says. And um, he is chosen as their choice as Intercontinental champion, and has already defended it twice, and is looking like a proper champion. You have Eddie Guerrero being given a massive storyline and holding the European title at the same time, which makes it important. And then you have Dean Malenko, who is um, given the first one to win the title is given the light heavyweight title, which is probably one of the least important in the company, but the work he does with it still makes it almost like a, a hidden gem every, every show. And I think that actually comes through quite well here in that this was a, I would say that this was a solid match. It was massively underappreciated for the majority of it by the crowd um, until the final third it does feel like the sort of match that you would have loved to have seen a bit more time given to it and a bit more attention because they could have done something really good. But you can tell that Malenko's experience with the Cruiserweight title over the last five, six years, whatever, and his work with wrestlers like Eddie Guerrero or Rey Mysterio or Juventus Guerrero or or like Psychosis or whoever makes him good in the sort of matches that he's going to get with Taka. And I actually thought this was, I would say probably one of the better matches on the card. Um, it's just, unfortunately it was too short a match and it didn't have enough time to go from being solid to good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the most like WCW, uh, Dimalenko that we've got to see. 
because the radicals don't really get involved. It's just you know two guys going to the wrestling of Fanaki's not even at ring C for for Taka, and and, they, and it's good that they acknowledge that Taka was the first ever champion because part of me uh, part of me thought that they weren't going to do that. Although it doesn't help that you know Terry Lars doesn't realise he's from Japan, not China, and also calls at one point Taka mentioned no clue. Uh, which really that's really going to help get get him over. You know the crowd are fairly silent, but they do have start to pick up at points. Uh, Taka we quickly sends Malenko to the outside and hits the moonsault, but uh, gets countered. He goes for a wheelbarrow, but it gets countered into a German suplex by Malenko. And this is basically what this is basically what Malenko was kind of for a lot of time in WCW in the cruiserweight division. That his opponents would get a lot of the flippy stuff in, but he would be there to. Kind of stop them, you know, put a halt to their momentum, and then be able to work them over as the submission specialist. Uh, although there's a point where Dean Link was working them over, and I can see the majority of the fans on the hard cam side all looking to their left at something and shouting and chatting about something, but it's not about what's going on in the ring. So I think there may have been a fight or something, or somebody was getting kicked out. I don't know what's happened, but something unfortunately happened that's caused people to take their attention away from the match. And then I just put my notes here, racist Jerry, and then I just moved on to describing the match again. So I think that just tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Lenko getting locked in the camel clutch. He, he hits a backbreaker. You know, he's really working over Taka. Uh, but Taka then manages to fight back with a DDT. There's so many spots in this match, I don't think I'd take get them all. Uh, a very unique move by Lenko. It's a middle rope gut buster, and then locks in the Texas Clover relief. You know, I did, I did think that you know Jerry and, and Cole, especially though, were starting to give Light Taka more of his dues, you know, as you know, like not for not giving up and everything as the match was coming to its close. But you know, like a credit call for that. But like even though when Jerry's trying to actually give proper commentary on this match, it's still hard to hear that after you've already like called them Chinese and all that, like just minutes earlier. Yeah, I think this was the wrong commentary to have. Um, this is one of those matches that I feel that someone like Jerry uh, Joey Styles. Um, or even like uh, Mike Tanay would have been much better to have because they can mix that knowledge and actual calling of the match with telling the stories. Um, Michael Cole is not really suited for calling the stories. He's he's basically a shill for Vince McMahon. So unfortunately, he was never really going to be able to give that much focus to it and be able to help tell the story. And Jerry the King Lawler is your racist uncle in the corner who won't shut the fuck up about how all of them look the same. And it it's a it's another case of where his comment his comments that he makes nowadays feel badly aged. These are just plain uncomfortable to listen to and makes me angry that what could have been a solid SmackDown match if given proper time and attention was treated as a joke by a joke of an announcer. We credit to Notaka and Dean they, they pulled out you know the best possible match that they could. It's, it's still weird to see the Leah with title get defended on such a regular basis on SmackDown because I don't think with the exception of uh, where D, the match where Dean won it and the week before when SHOs fought Crash for it it's exclusively been a SmackDown title or maybe the odd occasion notes on Sunday Heat but so far, it has not been defended on Raw since Dean won it, which is weird. But it's still like something to look forward to on like SmackDown. 
on a more regular basis to see these kind of matches and see how long this goes on for. And this is, I think this is the best one we've had in a while because Dimalenko, since he won it, you know, we had that match with SC Rios beat Jeff Hardy, which was like really good. But then since then, we've had matches that just have these confusing, overly interference based finishes. But this is two guys just going out there and being able to wrestle. This is your plain, this is your straight up wrestling match of the night. And it was just a really jolly watch. And this is clearly the breakout moment for Taka finally because, you know, Oh, I can't wait to tell you next week what he does on for all. He gets the biggest opportunity of his career, that young man. Uh, but we go backstage. Shane's like watching back like what Big Show did to Grandmaster Sexy, and he's just getting so over enthusiastic about it. I wonder how sweaty he was getting just by watching the tape back. And uh, he goes by in this like wall and where Big Show is, uh, where they're teasing what outfit Big Show's gonna wear on the show later on. And then we get Mae Young trying to be Angle's tag team partner because it's funny because she's old. Uh, but, you know, when we get to next episode, you'll see that Angle made a mistake because clearly Mae Young is a tag team specialist. But Angle quickly, like, how desperately how desperate he is to get a partner. He looks over and sees uh, hey Bob as, as Harker all he goes by, basically offers him the opportunity to be his tag team partner. And Harker's like, well, he wants to get a title back because you know, he lost a Harker title on Raw. So Hardcore agrees to be Angle's tag team partner uh, for this show. So there you go. One of them's got, what a great tag team that is. One of them's got a lot of charisma, is a great in-ring. The other is Bob Holly. A car racer. <laughs> My friends call me Sparky. You can call me Sparky too. Don't lie to us, Bob. You have no friends. Mm-hmm. You you have you don't pretend to smile. You only smile when you're hurting people. But next comes my hero and yours, the Godfather, out with the hose. Uh, if you haven't checked out the Godfather on Broken Skull Sessions with Stone Cold on the network, I do recommend checking out. Me and Carl on a recent podcast spent about a good fifteen twenty minutes talking about the that appearance. I mean, we're meant to be talking about the Mandalorian, but still, you know, a mild, a mild detail. Yeah. The, but, the Godfather could suit in the Mandalorian. I think he'd be brilliant. He could be Jabba the Hutt's um, enemy. That would be <laughs> awesome. Um, aren't he and Steve Austin good friends as well? Yeah, uh, they, they do reminisce about some of the territories that they both worked in before their, their time in the WWE. Uh, also, uh, Godfather, famously part of uh, Undertaker's BSK, so a lot of Undertaker stories in there. I think Taker's told some stories about Godfather on his appearances on Rolling Skull Stage like then to fighting over a hat when they were both drunk. Not that they both wanted but they both wanted the other one to have the hat. And so, just take the fucking hat. Now you take the hat. <laughs> uh, but now I'm thinking about it, you know, Carl Weathers' character, Chris Carter, that could be a good role for the Godfather. Just, you know, just, just seeing uh, the Godfather sitting in a cantina giving Mandal- the Ma- Mandalorian, his, his job, his next bounty to chase. <laughs> I'd, I'd just like to imagine him surrounded by like several green skinned women, um, and he would have like the Godfather's hat on and ju- look a bit like Apollo Creed, but the Godfather edition. So it would be like a Apollo Father. That's what I'm going to call him, Apollo Father. And he would like, instead of having it, instead of the Mandalorian intro music, you just have it like. Uh, turn around to see him there and just hear I'd I'd mark out I would love it 
it would be so ridiculous. Um, but I would love it. Uh, I, this is now what I want in life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only her knees in man, though. But outcome says a, he does his usual take, and then outcome sees opponent. Well, it's the big pimp because <laughs> outcome's big show two is really crap. That we have aggression music, which doesn't suit at all as he's trying to like, bop along to it while dressed as a he's dressed as the Godfather basically, or at least that's. He's got some weird feathered scarf. He's got a cane, glasses, and everything. And you know, like, he's trying to talk over his music. Like, I'm the big pimp. And Godfather just looks like, How dare you think you can be a pimp? Have I? Have you not listened to me saying that pimping is not easy? Fella, if you're going to get in business, you should have come to me because I'm the expert and I can guarantee pimping. Ain't easy, Pimper. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> oh. But then, and then Big Show Riley just hits a drop kick within the first 30 seconds and then goes back to regular giant offense, as in just chokes him right in the corner. So, like, it's weird watching Big Show's matches during this phase of his, his run because for the first few weeks, his style, the style of matches that he's still having, you know, don't suit this new fun-loving gimmick that he's supposed to be on. You know, uh, Godfather you know, makes his comeback. He does hit the whole train. And then uh, then a hole gets up on the road to distract the ref. And then this is where you can tell Briggs not fully faced yet as he just takes his cane and just whacks the Godfather in the back of the head with it. Uh, for the one that hole then gets into the ring and kisses the big show, leaves with him. And I thought, oh. And that's a, so I remember watching and thinking, ah, oh, is that the woman who would go on to be big show's wife? Uh, playing that hole, looked up, and it was. But they were already married apparently at this time. And uh, Big Show was what Big Show's wife came to the show. She didn't always come to shows, and uh, and Vince wanted to do a spot where one of the holes would help would help Big Show, and then he kissed her afterwards. And uh, Show wasn't comfortable with it because he said, "Oh, my wife's here and everything." And so Vince goes like, "Go, I'll have a I'll have a word with her." So Vince goes to talk to Big Show's wife. He comes back, and Big Show always asks, "How did it go?" "Oh, great. Your wife's gonna play the hole." Oh, it turns out that Vince can sell sn- uh, snow to an Eskimo. Uh, it's where I. It's it's amazing how quickly Big Show can get a reaction as soon as he shows a bit of personality. Um, I kind of enjoyed this, even though it was ridiculous. I thought Big Show actually probably looked the best he's looked for a while in those leather trousers. I thought and. I was wondering why the hole was trying to distract Tim White because it seemed quite dour to me. But um, it, the fact that he um, Big Show got to have a happy kiss in the ring with his uh, with his wife was quite quite nice to see. Um, uh, obviously, she was a little bit cold at the time, so he's obviously taking her back to warm her up. But um, damn, he he's pulled an absolute stunner. Fair play to the show. Wow. Yeah, you know. Punching above his weight, and that's saying something considering how big the big show is. But yeah, he is big. But what was interesting, I don't know if you noticed, the Godfather wasn't that much smaller than him. No, the Godfather is actually taller than Bobby Logan Craver. He's at least somewhere in the six foot one, six foot two range, I think. Mm. Something like that with Godfather. So yeah, you know, he's the the medium pimp, or he's a big pimp, and big show, he's a large pimp. Big Show is the extra large pimp. The big, show, big you can get the extra large pimp for only forty pence more. That's why everybody's the extra large pimp. 
And if you want a really cheap pimp, well, you can get the small small pimp, which is Hornswoggle. <laughs> uh, well, Godfather just like got there. Bill tight, six foot six. So, wow, that's a that's a large man. Large I'm man. Sure, I'm pretty sure Drew McIntyre is supposed to be six foot seven, and McIntyre is a big fucker. So how? I'm struggling to believe that the Godfather is one inch shorter than Drew McIntyre. And also, he revealed on the Women's Call Sessions, he turned 60 this year, and he just looks exactly the same as he does now, which basically, he's the walking advert for medical cannabis, which he apparently says. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, when he was doing the ball for all, I think he said that he basically uh, got high before every match, uh, <laughs> and he still got to the final, which... To be fair, he used to be an ex-security guard or bouncer, so it doesn't really surprise me. He's a bit, bit of a bit of a hard nut, it seems. So, a fair play to him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did think it was weird at first. I thought like, well, she likes to go out but Big Show is a pimp, but he's much bigger, so she's attracted to the big pimp. But yeah, it makes more sense that that's his wife, and, and really. Then I've just put in my notes here. Man shows us his arse crack to promote WWFnews.com because the other guy who basically dresses a plumber with his arse crack hanging at his jeans. And then uh, then they make a really tenuous link to WAFnews.com. And it's just a mild advert, but I thought it was worth knowing because it came out of fucking nowhere right between that match and now the tag team title match with Edge and Christian versus Kurt Angle and Hardcore Holly. Uh, Edge and Christian still coming out through the crowd. You know, that won't last much longer. As soon as they go proper here, they start coming out the entrance way. But, you know, they walk through the entrance way. The new tag team champions continue to thumb their noses at authority. Edge walks through thinking, look at me, Vince McMahon. I have a new hat. Edge, hey, Edge, a new, Edge, new hat can be all the difference. I was going to say, uh, Edge was wearing a hat very similar to, the, not as quite as big as the funny hat that they would wear later on in their heel run, but, you know, it's starting to get there. No, he's just, he's trying something new, you know. He, he's trying to get new looks. We all do it from time to time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, it's one of those few times also that, you know, I, one thing I usually hate about Edge and Christian's matches around the same before they went full on heel is that the, the narrative seemed to be Christian is shit and Edge is great because Christian gets worked all the time. He has to rely on Edge to again to help the team win. But, you know, Christian actually gets a fair bit of offense. You know, there's a good fast paced segment. There's a good fast paced sequence between him and Harper Holly. Uh, Edge comes in, he gets poked in the eye. Uh, but then uh, Christian helps get involved uh, by getting a clothesline on the off from the apron on. I believe it was hardcore to help, and Edge, so he and Edge can uh, work him over. Then Angle gets tied in, catches Edge with a really good overhead belly to belly off the top rope, and then our Edge is trying to get worked over. And then there's randomly a beach ball in the crowd, so uh, I guess it's not a modern thing as well. People are still being cunts with beach balls, and the attitude there because if you get a beach ball out. During a wrestling show, you're a cretin of a human being. I'm pretty sure, actually, the show is a cretin of a human being. The um, the choice. Uh, this is this is a weird choice because you got two heels in Kurt Angle and Hardcore Holly. I mean, I'm not sure whether Hardcore Holly counts as a heel because that would mean that the audience would have to have an actual interest in him. But um, you've got. Two more or less heels against two faces who are acting heelish. So 
I, I was a little bit worried at the beginning that it was going to be hard for the fans to connect with any of them because of this. Um, however, I was gradually proved wrong because this, again, was a relatively solid match despite the weird intentions of having Edge and Christian as the faces considering their recent actions. Um, so some sometimes you just got to put four wrestlers in the ring and let them perform and they can... They may, may not put out a classic, but they can put out a solid match, which on this show is the equivalent of a godsend. So, But Edge doesn't mind set the spear at angle. Uh, he and Christian used their very, their often forgotten, and for good reason, tag team finisher, the assisted suplex, where one of them goes to the top rope for a suplex and then the other sneaks under behind him with an electric chair position. So that's the reason I don't like talking about this move is because basically it's like I'm hit, my partner is hitting a move, but I'm also hitting him with a move. So it's basically a terror doom spot, but two of the three participants involved are in on it. Yeah, it's the sort of spot that um, if it was in a triple threat match, it would be a move specifically designed so that um, all three of them are hurt. But mm-hmm. in this account, seemingly... The one in the middle is the one that's in control, and it just seems like a complete contrast to what the audience have been taught to know. So that felt like a bit of a mistake, I had to admit. And I, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't think Edge and Christian are really the sort of team that needed a tag team finisher, like double team finisher, because they, because the whole point of them is that they're sneaky and heelish. So you can have it that they suddenly either hit you with the unprettier from behind or they catch you out with a spear. And that, to me, makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, it's the person who takes a suplex who always who often goes for the pen and gets it, when surely they should be almost as hard as the guy who's taking the suplex because they've had to have that fall as well. It should be the guy driving the electric chair that should be going for the pin. But then, obviously, any person get the win, they quickly leave as Angle gets very angry at a hardcore holly. Uh, I think it's Hardcore that takes it, but uh, Angle is angry at Hardcore for losing. And he says, um, I like it, it took me a thing to really get, but then I, I liked it when I finally got it. Because Hardcore likes to come sell the big shot. He goes, You should take the O out of big shot and replace it with one of my three eyes. <laughs> and Ang- so Holly punches Angle in the face and then hits him with the Falcon Arrow, because that will show Angle. And actually, I was actually expecting when we watched the next episode of SmackDown and Spoiler, this isn't going to happen. that Angle and uh, all hard were going to have a match. So I think there's a match somewhere mid 2000 where on SmackDown between Hardcore and Kurt, where Kurt hits the moonsault. One of the few times he actually hits it, but he ends up injuring Hardcore Holly when he does it. And then Hardcore has to disappear for a couple more months. But clearly, that's not at this point. I just thought that this match was going to then lead into that match where Hardcore got injured. But I was clearly wrong. No, I, I remember the match you were talking about, uh, in fact. And um... It's a good point. I was I was surprised as well to uh, have it that they didn't follow this fight up with another with an actual match between the two, which would seemingly make sense. Um, I think the I get the feeling that that um, that injury to Hardcore happens in the next month or two because I'm pretty sure it was mid 2000 when it occurred because he wasn't. Angle wasn't allowed to try the moonsault again until I think about the Royal Rumble with Triple H, but I, f- I might be wrong, but that's what I feel like it is. 
mean, Hawk uh, uh, Crawley's often said he's like it wasn't Andrew's uh, fault uh, for what happened, and uh, it's one of the nicer things Hawk Crawley's ever said. And apparently, it was him who originally Angle was met and missed him, and so as he often does, but it was Holly who insisted that he actually hit them insult. Because he said, like, you know, one of these things you eventually actually have to hit them insult, otherwise, why would people are going to wonder why the hell does he keep going for that insult? Which is a solid logic there. More logic than uh, the main storyline of the show, which continues on into our main event, which is maybe The Rock versus the McMahons, but Shane comes out and says he's going to be the special guest ring announcer for this match instead. And he kicks out Al Hebner and says that he won't be required and says that the new referee for this match is Triple H, who, and uh, it's going to be The Rock now versus DX, uh, Road Dog and Xbox, as we uh, they wanted earlier on. So then again, as I said before, who really won that feud with Xbox and Kane? Whereas Xbox is main eventing the next, you know, for the following week, SmackDown, while Kane's at home apparently with an injury after getting beat up by Bossman and Buchanan. So just just saying that, but definitely man then joins commentary. Also, Shane makes the introductions for DX and then just doesn't introduce The Rock. I don't know if he was intentionally doing that or for maybe he just forgot. Either way, I thought it was funny. But well, I do love the fact it's just as well they got Triple H and IV, the the referee to then do the slow count because Rock easily disposes of these two as The Rock is one to do with people who are seemingly beneath them. Uh, but then whenever Road Dog gets to try and get a pin on him, he does a fast count. Uh, and uh, there's a point where Triple H is uh, trying to get Xbox at the corner when he's working on the rock, as you or if he would do. But then Triple H, while he's doing it, he conveniently has his foot on the rock's throat. And Michael Cole's kicking a fuss over there, but Jerry Lawler and Stevie seemingly don't see any, uh, any issue with it. Uh, Xbox gets flying out of the ring at one point. On Shane McMahon and they both go tumbling at the commentary table. Rudolph gets sent to Triple H who takes a bump. It's weird how Triple H takes a bump off of that mild collision with Road Dog. It's, it's clear that the uh, the referee shirt is cursed, that seemingly Triple H would have to take a lot of punishment to properly stay down. Uh, when you put a referee shirt on, you probably the mildest bump, a gust of wind can keep a referee down for 10 minutes. It's it's like a it's like a t-shirt edition of Kryptonite, basically. Um, so, um, I I cannot believe I'm about to say this. Um, I kind of enjoyed this. I actually had a bit of fun because um, there was no messing around. Rock basically just came in and looked to kick the shit out of everyone, and and did it very well. I have to say. Um, Triple H's moment where, like him doing the slow count uh, by checking underneath the shoulders each time, and then also choking Rock with his foot while standing our next pack off. I, I have to admit, it did actually make me laugh. Um, it should have been absolutely ridiculous, and yet I didn't mind it. Obviously, that's that's the success of the first half of the show. Um, basically, making me hate it so much that anything that's relatively competent. Is better than nothing. Yeah, it's weird the, the difference between the first half of the show and the second half. Like, it's just bizarre. Like, surely you should have it the other way around if you're going to have a half and half show. Where you shouldn't aim for a half and half show in terms of quality, but sure, the first half should be good and the second half is shit. Because if your first half is, is shit, as you've pointed out uh, before, 
you know, the way many times you have to pause it, you know, if your first half of the show is, is terrible, nobody's going to want to watch it for when it gets good. So the Rock hits the Rob Alm on uh, the road dog, and uh, so Earl Hibner then runs back down to the ring to try and count uh, the pin. And then Vince, he, Vince is standing on the, the top of the ramp, and then Hebner runs past him. So Vince then has to stop him. And despite this being pre-quad tear, like double quad tear, uh, Vince, Vince breaks into a mild jog to chase after Earl Hebner and still isn't able to catch him until Hebner's already in the ring starting the count where Vince then pulls him out and knocks him out. And then The Rock just chases Vince, grabs a chair and basically holds off DX and stops them from getting involved while he hits Vince McMahon with a chair. And so The Rock... so SmackDown closes with The Rock standing over a pro Vince McMahon while uh, all of DX and they're like, no, please, don't. What have you done? That was probably actually the best way of finishing it, I think. Um, that I kind of got that instead of finishing the match, The Rock showed that he was intelligent enough to just say, you know, they're going to try and screw me over. Fuck it. The real person I want to kick the shit out of is Vince McMahon because he's scored, he screwed me over. So he chases him down for revenge and basically gets to wipe him out for a chair. And it's a, it's one of those non-finishes that actually makes sense, which considering how regularly SmackDown seems to feature some sort of a non-finish, um, makes it a little less painful to sit through. Um, so... As a final image of the show, I actually thought that was pretty good with The Rock um, basically getting to show that he is getting revenge and continues on his success in the on war. Uh, it's just a case of seeing whether or not he can keep it going for a little bit longer, etc. Um, but it's weird. It feels like pretty much as soon as Eddie Guerrero in China arrived to the building, the standard of the overall show improved. Um, so thank you, Eddie. Thank you, China. Um, but uh, still a little bit of too little too late. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it seems that the rock got actually some arrangement on Vince himself. Cause, you know, he, he took out he hit the rock bottom on like everybody hit on the people's elbow on seven at WrestleMania. He hit, he hit, he got some revenge on Triple H, uh, even though like again the titles on the wasn't online that led to a whole shit storm. And but now he's finally got a retribution on Vince McMahon himself, the man who is at the center of you know costing him the WWE title in the first place. And so hopefully, as we go forward, we can move on from this shitty controversy and just focus on the story of The Rock now being the one man against this whole regime and everything like that, which is, it should be the, it should be a simple enough story to book him. It's basically what you did with Austin for a while. It's just, now you book it with The Rock. They're both, like, The Rock is over at the time as Austin was in 88, so it shouldn't be that hard to fucking book. Especially not one of your, 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 one of your peak years that you've ever had. But, uh, so, we're going to talk about the rating here for the show as well as what you'd recommend people to go back and check out. Uh, we've already like, made a mild change to the rating system. If you've listened to me on Scott and Balls Island podcast, you'll know that usually we have a, a system like, like we have here of uh, thumbs up, thumbs up, middle, thumbs down. But also on, on Scott and Balls Island podcast, we sometimes have a rare either double thumbs up or double thumbs down if something's really good or excellent or like really, really shit. And so we're thinking about just that into the retro smart review where it's now going to be 
double thumbs up, double one thumb up, thumb in the middle, one thumb down, two thumbs down. And uh, I'm interested to hear what Sam's rating is. So Sam, give us your where your thumb is, and let us know what what the one thing is that you'd find on this show. I'm assuming it can be from the second half uh, that you tell people to check out if you had to recommend one thing. So it's really weird because you have it that on one side, the IC title match finishes too quickly. The Taz Saturn match doesn't even occur. The Head Cheese versus Bossman and Buchanan match is just boring. Uh, the two main stories throughout the show in terms of the build up to handicap match and Kurt Angle looking for a tanking partner are both stupid and it basically means that you're requiring everyone to carry an idiot ball in order for anything to occur but on the on the other hand you have it that the test and albert versus Dudley boys matches okay at best uh malenko and taka were getting good when it finished a little early uh big show in godfather was mostly inoffensive and fun and the tag team title match was a good title defense. Um, the main event's more fun than I expected, but it's more of an angle than a match. Um, the problem is, is that when I'm looking at all of those positives, I still feel to some degrees that those are positives just because of what I've already watched so far. Is it a case that I'm only liking those because I'm so desperate for anything good? Whereas if it was on a normal show would it actually be any good? Because like TNA first Dudley Boys, probably not. Malenko and Taka, probably not. Big Show first Godfather, probably not. And I'd probably be annoyed at the main event. And that's the, that's my issue. This is a show that requires everyone to be stupid and make bad decisions and for the audience to have to be idiotic in order to buy into it. And I hate, I hated it. I hated it. To the point that I'm not sure whether I could, in good conscience, recommend any match. Uh, the closest I might get to recommending anything would say maybe Eddie Guerrero in China. But even then, I feel that's like picking the only potato in the field that doesn't have cow shit on it. Um, the honest truth is that I'd actually rather never watch this episode again uh and i'm probably just gonna give it two thumbs down because of how angry and frustrated and annoyed i was through all of it so two thumbs down uh if you have to watch something maybe watch eddie in china just to see how well they go together in preparation for the rest of the show uh rest of the year but i fucking hated this show it took five attempts to complete. Wow. Wow. Uh, he's, that, he's that angry over the show that he didn't even, I don't even say anything, I let him keep his gimmick, but he didn't even mention it. The fact that, you know, the match with uh, Rock, uh, originally with maybe against the McMahons, wasn't made until halfway through the show, so the main event would have been Harker Holly and Kurt Angle versus the bloody against Edge and Christian, or if Harker Holly hadn't been around, we'd just been Angle via Edge and Christian by himself. And, uh, we're happy that uh, Rock got a key impact, so because, you know, main event, Ball Polly, we're not ready for that. Maybe maybe get a hint of it in 2004 against Brock Lesnar, and then we're fully ready for it when he's part of the Extreme Elimination Chamber at December to this member in 2006. 
but we weren't ready for her in 2000 uh, for a main event Harker Ollie. I'd say I'd recommend Takavi Dean. I know the crowd weren't entirely focused on it, but the one like proper bit of wrestling on this show where you can really you think that you can call wrestling on this show is this the one match didn't have a run in, wasn't a DQ, the defense wasn't dodgy, the finish made sense with no Malenko just out wrestling Taka and being smarter and beating him with his finish. That was about it. I mean, you can say that about Rikishi versus Benoit, but it came out of nowhere and Rikishi was a sore loser afterwards, so I'd recommend the light heavyweight title match. Uh, honestly, I would have liked to see it go a few minutes longer, if anything. Part of me wanted to give this a thumbs in the middle because there was stuff I liked with the light heavyweight title match. I thought there was something that I thought was quite like the idea of Bigster trying to dress up as a pimp and things like that. But there's not enough uh, good stuff to make me like I'm not less bad as you like not want to watch the show again. But I there's not enough redeeming stuff on this. There's stuff that was good, but like even when you're watching the stuff that you enjoyed on the show, you're still being reminded of stuff that's to come or stuff that they've already battered you over the head with like the whole thing with the rock and the match with the McMahons and everything like that and you know, weird questions that nobody wants to ask, like the history of Will Buchanan or if Eddie in China, who wears the pants and all that crap. So, yeah, I'm just going to give it one thumbs down because I didn't hate it as much as you, but still a thumbs down in my book. So, maybe my recommendation should be just don't watch this episode, but watch the episode of Raw that preceded it, even though I ran it down for you at the start. Watch the episode of Raw because I think you'll find in comparison the Raw was far stronger overall. I'm not going to lie, just by your description alone, I already felt at the beginning of this podcast, fuck, I watched the wrong episode. <laughs> I think eventually uh, I should just give, take, pick a week where I say, okay, I'm not going to watch Raw this week, Sam, you watch Raw. And I think that'll be a particular week where Raw is better than SmackDown. And Sam will be like, I want to continue to do this. And then like a week later, like, no, actually, Raw was shit this week. Let's go back to how it was. Yeah, if it's, if it's anything like the wars I had to watch during the reign of uh, terror from Triple H, then I'm just going to be like, no, you can take this right back. I have no interest. I am I am deep deep within a SmackDown boy all the way. Um, all, all I need is for us to get to the brand split, and I'll be a happy chappy. I think for the first, I think we get to the brand split, I think I'll still have to watch Raw's for a little bit because there are people who do go back and forth for the first few months. I don't think it's until like August. I think, I think it's post SummerSlam 02 when Brock officially becomes a SmackDown exclusive guy that I can stop watching Raw. And I think you're right. I think you're right, yeah, because I'm pretty sure it's a case of that the Undisputed Champion and the Women's Champion goes back and forth, don't they? Yeah, because I think it's in the lead up to Unforgiven that the World Heavyweight title is unveiled. So, whenever uh, that happens, uh, I can stop watching and stop watching Raw. And what I really dread is to getting to 2001 with the invasion, because my Raw recaps are going to get longer and longer and longer <laughs> as it goes on. So, there you go. Uh, a very overall down voting on this episode of SmackDown. If you've watched it or you remember anything from it, let us know. Did you hate it as much as we did? Did you just save it in any way? Did you enjoy a I literally going to make a joke about something. I can't even, I've already put all, most of the seal out of my mind. I could even think of a segment to mock. Did you enjoy Buchanan and Bossman versus H 
Ed Cheese, unless you're Sam, you probably didn't. Uh, but Sam, as we finally leave this smackdown in our rear view, please let, remind the people where you are on Twitter and what you're up to outside of this well, mostly lovely podcast, but not this week. So you can usually find me on Twitter um, at, and I'm going to use the phonetic alphabet for this, uh, Bravo Indigo Gulf, Bravo Alpha Delta Alpha, Bravo Romeo Uniform Charlie Echo, and that will give you Big Bad of Bruce talking about films, TV, football, wrestling, whatever pretty much comes to his mind at that time. Um, recently had it that I got so into the latest um, AEW pay-per-view that I was live-treating through the majority of it before I got dragged into another podcast streaming. So, Because, you know, people like to hear me talk. Um, I've taken a bit of a time back, uh, time away from writing at the moment, but I have recently had a um, couple of articles for WrestleJoy come out. I'm currently looking at, continuing to look at CM Punk's reign as... WWE champion for 300 and or was it 434 days I'm currently up to the point where he's just been uh, battling with Chris Jericho and I'm moving on past that and I'm also currently doing a retrospective of the IWGP intercontinental title um, specifically Shinsuke Nakamura's reigns with them and what it was that he did to make them so special uh, to the point that they were considered almost the equal of the actual IWGP champ- championship. And I think it's quite appropriate to recommend that right now, considering that we've just come off of uh, the latest pay-per-view where the new IWGP heavyweight champion has been crowned. Um, apart from that, you will probably see me here next week on here regaling about an episode that I might have enjoyed slightly more than this one, but I'm going to guess that's not difficult. And of course you can find me on Twitter at 1996. You can follow the brand at rogue underscore pain on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out uh, the Mandalorian pod with uh, myself and uh, Carl Pierce. Uh, the most recent episode is uh, chapter 13, The Jedi, where we talk 15 50- where, uh, let's see, 10% about the Godfather, uh, 10% about the actual episode itself, and 80% about the character of Ahsoka and the Clone Wars cartoon itself, because of the introduction of Ahsoka, the character in the Star Wars live-action universe. That's not a thing. It's just an introduction into live-action for Ahsoka Tano, the character. Uh, Sam is going to be on the Mandalorian pod at some point soon. Uh, we're thinking the finale of Season 2. We're going to have uh, Sam on. Uh, maybe we'll have other guests on, but we've got plans for that podcast. Me and Carl, just stay tuned for that. Uh, this is only coming over the weekend, so you may have already heard me and Nathan Greenway review the cinematic masterpiece that is Money Plane, starring Edge and Kelsey Grammer and Thomas Jane and a glorified cameo from Denise Richards. And, well, you can just go check that out for our opinions on that on that film. Uh, well, we also we have also we'll go back in our archives for other episodes of the Rogue Retro SmackDown Review or Mania Two Thousand podcast. You can find uh, shows like the Rogue Chronicles that I'm going to be appearing on at some point, where Carl and Liam go through classic villains and pop culture. They've done episodes on the Green Goblin, uh, which is very interesting. They've done episodes on the Joker, on Darth Vader, and uh, all sorts of other characters, and. Uh, Check out the Holy Grats podcast because they're doing a 
live stream uh, this weekend to raise money for mental health charity in Ireland called uh, Jigsaw. Me and Sam are going to be on that uh, live stream doing a, a series of debates on topics we're not really sure of at the time we're recording. Uh, it's for a good cause. Please make sure you donate. Uh, we, I know I'm going to be. And uh, I may also be featured on that stream in uh, some sort of film review. Uh, I think one of the films we're going to talk about is The Wrestler and one other film which we'll all put choices towards. And I'm, I'm only 50-50 hoping that they choose mine because it's shit. But I'll also enjoy ripping the piss out of it. Uh, but I'll only tell you if it gets chosen. So check that out. Holloway Graps on Holloway Graps on Twitter or at Rian, no numbers on uh, Twitter. The man that Jake forgot, he's on Twitter. He's part of the Rogue Bains team, but he'll let you know all the details about uh, that. And I think that's just about everything. I was on a podcast for Eat Sleep Super HP Treat about uh, Mick Foley, the career of Mick Foley that should be out now. So go check that out if you want. And I think that's about everything. Uh, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you that we're now finally done with this SmackDown? Uh, seventy-two, <laughs> which is as many it, which is as many times as it felt like I got told that there was controversy about the WWF Championship. Uh, if not for the fact I was going to the cinema, I'd probably go to bed right now and put my head underneath the pillow and thank God that it's over. And I'm not even fucking religious. <laughs> oh, I don't know how to fall on that. That's a perfect way to end it. Goodbye, everybody. It's over. Thank you. Bye. Well, it's the big show. Oh. I gas hop when I hit my six foot pedal. I rock and got fans from ghetto to heavy metal. I took it to the next level. Guard data the states and marble floors with a slight bevel. Hey yo, I hit the freeways to keep my guns toning. Get high, start zoning, get paranoid and leave my pits roaming. Then gently slide into the seat of my Bentley. Hit the town and if you're hating, you're jealous, evidently. I bought platinum for the millennium, my ice bigger. Touch my watch on my chain and get shot at least twice near. I'll be the brightest star shining in the show. And everybody say ho if you love Mac one nose. And to the female fan base that consume, you gotta be willing to give up the room to see my room. So if you're about that and in your mouth I can burst Then meet me backstage and have some rubbers in your purse What? Y'all know the time Who ain't getting stripped Y'all shake the rock Jesus, 2K, 9-9's behind We hold front line, saw time to shine You get in, who we fit Y'all know the time Who ain't getting stripped Y'all shake the rock Jesus, 2K, 9-9's behind We hold front line, saw time to shine I know psycho Pull the plug and make the mic blow. Show no mercy, these mere mortals can't hurt me. It's such a pity I hit the streets and stop.